Listener Production. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That's Enough Already. You know it well. It is a safe space to bitch about everything and everything we will bitch about. Uh, today's guest is Chinese-Malaysian comic and doctor, Dr. Jason Leong. Now, he's got a Netflix special called Hashtag Blessed and we are hashtag blessed to have him on the show. He's amazing. He has actually treated me in KL a few years ago. I don't want to get into details. Let's just say he put the machine back on track. He joins us from his home in Kuala Lumpur. It was steamy hot. And then I asked him to turn the ceiling fan off because I didn't want the whoop, 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 whoop in your ears. And then he had a weird flex by turning it off with his uh, medical degree. I get it. I get it. You're smart. You're funny. All the way from Malaysia, it is Dr. Jason Leong. That's quite enough. Just shut your mouth. I don't give a stuff. It shush, please. Yes, I can hear. But I don't care. That's enough already. You're a medical doctor. Mm. That's your backup plan. I mean, yeah, when yeah, I yeah. say backup plan, I, I mean it in the sense of you had to go with a medical degree to your parents and go, Mum, Dad, I'm going to go tell some jokes <laughs> in a room full of semi-drunk people, okay, and not okay. know what the future holds. Yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. and I think that just blows the minds of your family that go, wait, 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 wait. We had already told all our friends our son is a doctor. Do not fuck with our storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go sit in a 20 seater room. (laughs) Yes. Like they don't get it. Yeah, there are two factors that make that even a bit more uh, slightly amazing. Uh, The first one is that I'm the first doctor in both sides of the family, in my mom's family and my father's family. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And secondly, uh, we talk about a doctor doing stand up comedy in these current times, especially in Asia, right? So in Asia, stand-up comedy is very accepted now. It's becoming almost mainstream. But 10 years ago, when I first started, it was unheard of that you could grab a mic and tell jokes. Yeah. Much less for a living. So that is why when I decided to quit my job and become a full-time comedian, I did not tell my parents. I told them that I was on a three months unpaid leave, you know, just take a break. And then the yes. three months became six months. Let the brains yeah. get used to it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So three months become six, become nine. And then after more than a year, my mom, she realizes and she goes, Jason, you're not going back to work, aren't you? And I go, nope. And she says, okay. <laughs> and that's it. And that's how that's how the big transition and, happened. And Just, that was in what, 2015? Uh, yes, you're right. Yes, 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when they could see, okay, this is taking off, your comedy career is taking off, and especially when you, you got the Netflix special. Uh, this is a pretty cool story. So 2018, the uh, Netflix uh, Asia commissioned three specials. Uh, two from Malaysia, one from Singapore. And yeah. naturally, I was uh, absolutely furious that I wasn't chosen. Uh, and then what happened was I decided in 2018 to record my own special and then uh, try to sell it again. But unfortunately, Netflix at the time didn't want to commission more specials from Southeast Asia. So we tried to sell, di- didn't sell. And in 2020, two years after we were in, in pandemic, in a lockdown, I thought, okay, uh, this is not going anywhere. I'm going to release it on YouTube for free. And I put it on YouTube. I was ready to press the publish button to make it available. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I want to try one last time. So I met a guy at Netflix Asia 
who has come to my show and he likes my show. So I asked him, what do I need to do to get on Netflix? And he goes, oh, we are now in a position to buy completed stuff. Do you have anything you want to show me? And I go, fuck yes. <laughs> so I sent him a link and the deal happened. So I was really lucky that I sat on it and I believed in it for two years. So yeah, yeah it's pretty and that is, insane. That is hard to do for a comic to still in two years later, like your material enough mm-hmm. to go, yeah, I'll back this and this is what I want online. Yeah, think things have been, uh, people like the special. I, I, I hope so. And yeah, it was a pretty yeah. amazing thing to see my name on uh, Netflix. How good is it? I watched yeah, yeah. it. I loved it. But, you know, oh, I you. love you because uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. met you quite a few years back. Um, you yes. actually treated me in a Starbucks. I don't – like your memory of it is very sketchy, but because it happened to me, I remember right. everything of the day. We were yeah. in KL. There was a cat cafe and we did a, a gig at this cafe. Or That was right. sort of the green room. There were cats in there. <laughs> anyway, then I went downstairs to the Starbucks and you were downstairs getting a coffee or, or something and I, I had a terrible chest infection uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, we talked about it and you like, you just need to take some vitamin, you know, like drink a lot of water, do this, do this. And um, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, because I was convinced I was going to die. Because <laughs> compare that to the heat and the humidity because I was in the eye of summer and I grew up in Africa, mate. I didn't think it could get hotter than that. Right. And then right. I walked it- out. <laughs> Malaysia just hits you different, eh? It, it just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. That's why people on their motorbikes in Malaysia wear the jackets the wrong way around. <laughs> because... <laughs> You just want to get the fuck out of that jacket. It's too hot, even on a motorbike. I don't think it cools down ever. I I went yeah. into designer shops and and because the whole I did the whole Southeast Asia tour for Melbourne Comedy Festival. So we went to Hong Kong, Singapore, and Malaysia. Ah. And I went to all these designer shops everywhere because the aircon mm. was better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you go into Louis Vuitton and you freeze. <laughs> and I knew they knew that I wasn't there for the merch. You could tell. I was a ah. sweaty mess when I walked in. And then I would just stand there in the middle of the shop till they sort of gave me that look where I knew, okay, it was time to go. Then I'd go again. It was oh. insane. Absolutely insane. But did you enjoy your time in Southeast Asia? I'm sure the yeah. audiences loved your, your stuff. Honestly, I was absolutely blown away because I thought when we would go, it would just be expats, but it wasn't. Mm, yeah. And I, I fucking love it because, you know, I love a foreign person myself, mm. being a foreign person everywhere. But then when we got there, I'd say it was about a 70-30 split, 70% mm. uh, Malaysians and 30% mm. expats, and I had mm. the best time. And, and then one night we were in KL where mm-hmm. we were backstage waiting and then the next minute – all these security people came in and they go, the royal family bought 17 tickets to the show. Wow. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. who buys tickets to the show? And then they go, okay, you just need to um, be aware of the fact that there was like a four-year-old because they brought the kids. There was a four-year-old and an 11-year-old and they were sitting in the front row. I was like, oh, geez. I was like, okay. And I was first cab out the rank. I, I opened the, the show that night and mm-hmm. I walked out. And here, front row, the Malaysian royal family. Wow. I was like, Jesus. Um, and then <laughs> I was a little bit stressed. But they had an amazing time. There was a school group up the one side. 
it was the weirdest audience and then just sort of mums and pops, you know, just normal. Yes, yes, I'm yes, I'm like, yes. this is the, I feel like I'm in this weird time warp thing. Yes. But everyone had a great time that night. Nice, nice, nice. That's good. I mean, yeah, uh, some of the royal families in Malaysia are patrons of the arts, so they will definitely come out yeah. uh, to yeah. shows. Uh, but sometimes I find it really awkward because I've done a gig in Johor, which is a state south, uh, down south, and yeah. everyone's ready for a gig. You know, the audiences have come in and we're ready to start. And then right before we start, there'll be a voiceover goes, ladies and gentlemen, announcing the arrival of the Johor Princess. And then yeah. she comes in, there's a light on her, everyone stands up. Oh my you know, God. And then, and then she sits right in front. She sits right in front with yeah. her entourage. Yeah, that was that was a little bit yeah. of putting And then, let's start the comedy show. I'm like, oh, you know, like at least I'm not a shock jock. You know, my jokes yeah. are fairly okay. But imagine if my first joke was about, you know, like <laughs> about sex and whatever, like right in front of the royal family. It's a bit weird. Yeah, I was nervous because, you know, as a queer woman going mm, into yeah. Malaysia, Singapore, so every night I'm like, oh, you know, it's just normal audience. Like it's just a normal giving amazing audience that's here yes, for comedy. Yes. And they they are really, and, and you know, kudos to you guys performing in Malaysia, obviously, because they are a fucking savvy comedy audience. Yes. You yes. know, they know what a joke is. They recognise Jokes, because people don't understand when you have an audience that don't recognise a joke, you're like, it's a story, but there's punchlines <laughs> in there, you're allowed to laugh at that. And sometimes I feel like, but in Malaysia, they got it, right? Yes. But then when the royal family was there, I was like, okay, all the gay shit's off the table. Mm. I'm not talking about the wife, I'm not talking about, you know, nothing. I just kept it real generic. Mm-hmm. And it was real stressful, but I was very happy that they were there because it gave a great story. You know, I got, yes, came yes, back yes. home, I go, oh, I went to Malaysia, I discovered mamaks and it's amazing. It's like 1982, <laughs> people still smoke in the restaurants. Mamaks. <laughs> mamaks, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was so yeah. good. It's like I have to tell you another experience. I was sitting having a curry in a mamak with Andy Saunders. Yes. It was so, the curry we had was so hot, it nearly ploughed a hole right through me. <laughs> and the lady who works there, because we were like sweat was just dripping off me. She just walked over, laughed at us, took the food and gave me a cup of tea. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, she just laughed at us. And it's so funny because like the curries at Mamax are not the most lethal. You can get, uh, I would say lethal, more lethal and tastier curries elsewhere. The next time you come, yeah. I'll bring you around and I'll make sure that we have air conditioning, the best curry and lots of cold water and milk yeah. to neutralize the uh, spiciness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I was glad for that experience, you know, I... I loved it. I, you know what? It reminded me of South Africa and Botswana and Mozambique. When you travel and you're like, oh, here's just a restaurant, no frontage, no doors. It's just open yes. all the time. You go in, you get a, a hot plate of food and a cup of yes. tea and like everyone's just sort of, you just plaster down at any table. And it did. It reminded me of when you travel through Africa and you're like, oh. And, and everyone is sort of, even sometimes when I go up to get food, the lady would go, no, because we ate there every day. <laughs> So we would try new things. Like I wanted to try new things, but she obviously could tell yes. this shit's going to burn a hole through this lady's face. So I go, how about that one? And she go, no. No, no. <laughs> it's so simple, no. Because I think uh, for Malaysia, uh, I mean, and I'm sure it's the same elsewhere in Southeast Asia, I think we like 
our culinary experience to be as unpretentious as possible. Yeah. So by the roadside, under shed, uh, you know, just yeah. I order, you bring in the food and that's it. That's the end of the transaction. Yeah. Uh, but I find when you eat, let's say in, uh, especially in America, they want to strike a conversation. They want to say, they want to ask how you're doing and how's your life. And I feel like it's very disingenuous because they are trying to angle for tips. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't really give a shit. Yeah, they don't. And it, whereas in Malaysia, if you get someone asking you how's your day, yeah. you kind of know it's genuine because tipping is not part of the culture here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes when you, when you frequent a restaurant and they make the effort to talk to you, it feels very genuine. It feels real, yeah. you know? Yeah, but you know what I also find? The difference between, say, Western food and Asian food and African food too, right? Because it sort of falls in that same, it's not something you would recognise or would, you know, order in New York. You're not going to get it. But yes, when you have African or Asian food, because it is like that, it is a transaction. I make the food, you need the food, you get the food, <laughs> I take the money. That's it, right? Yes, Don't give a yes. shit about the rest of it. Eat your food. Yes. Now... <laughs> If you go to America or Australia or New Zealand, afterwards they'll always come up and they go, was everything all right? Uh, and people discuss the food afterwards like this cafe, da, da, da. Whereas with African and Asian food, people will never blame the cafe. They go, that food is not for me. They go, that was too hot or I don't like chicken feet sh- soup or I don't like yeah, – yeah. but they will never go, this cafe sucks. They, they make, ah. So if you eat African or Asian food, it's you. It's like this isn't for me. Whereas if you mm. go to Western restaurants, they go, it's the cafe. Yeah. Not, oh, this spare ribs and chips win for me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I think for, for us Asians, we would never, you know, have such in-depth discussions of the food after the meal at the restaurant. Yeah. We'll, we'll be like, yeah, yeah, thank you, whatever. And then uh, on the on the car ride home, we'll be bitching about it, but we won't yeah. tell the staff right there and then, oh, this is overcooked or whatever. Hey, th- th- thank you. Yeah. Uh, superb. Yeah, we'll come again. And then we go into the car and go, oh, that's yeah, fucking horrible. It's so yeah. shit. Yeah. I'm going to tell everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Malaysia right now, we are always with uh, in a culinary war with Singapore because you, we know that Malaysian food is better than Singapore, but Singapore does such a good job of marketing itself that it tells CNN and the Western media that, oh, nasi lemak comes from Singapore, but actually it's it doesn't come from Singapore. And we always argue about it. And it's it's so funny because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because CNN already thinks nasi lemak comes from Singapore. It's too late. We're arguing about when we should be the ones promoting our cuisine. So yeah. I'm taking advantage of this uh, podcast yeah. that uh, all the great food in Southeast Asia comes from Malaysia. Yeah. Okay, fuck CNN. <laughs> now on that note, in your special, you just burn, like you go, you basically fuck Singapore, like we're better. And then you talk about um, Chinese people from China, you know, the originals versus the Malaysian Chinese. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like... Did you open a door to a bit of online backlash for yourself or no? Uh, Did you get some shit for it? Surprisingly, uh, no, in the sense that most people uh, liked uh, the special. And I think, especially the last part, because I'm speaking, you know, like, uh, you know, truth to power and the mainland Chinese are very powerful. And at that point, there was a whole thing about Chinese at the time in 2018, uh, around that era, where literally tourists from mainland China 
would travel to countries like ours and really cause chaos, you know? And I felt nobody called bullshit on that. So yeah, when the, the, the special came out, I was very happy with the routine, but there were one or two people who on Instagram, they, they thought I was being racist, which I'm not. Yeah. Uh, and they thought that it, it was uh, inaccurate because like, oh, you know, we don't do that anymore. But look, it, it happened. So yeah. for every one person that didn't like it, I'm sure there are a thousand people who watch it and thought, yeah, that's funny, you know, which is, because it's very real and true. So if yeah. something is real and true, like one person came up to me after the show in Melbourne when I was performing it before I taped it. It's like, he was like, oh, are you are you just telling lies? And I'm like, no, it's, it's really happening. And you can quote all the newspaper articles that were written about yeah. it, you know. And so it's, it's, I have no problems with it because it's real and true. Yeah, no, that's my, like, you know, when I did my special, I sort of had a go at cyclists and, but in a tongue-in-cheek way, you know, like these old farts and their lycra panties and their weird shoes fucking up your Sunday latte, you know, just sort of real stereotypical shit that, you know, you would struggle with in the suburbs. Like it's not yeah. a, a, you know, I'm not saying aim for them with your car. Um, oh, well, but, oh, it's, it's, you know what's so funny? In my new show that I'm doing right now, I do have a go at cyclists because uh, it has been a disease that is uh, happening since the pandemic. My take is it's very dangerous. To me, it's funny. One of my friends watched my show, Shitting on Cyclists. He found it funny. Then he took up cycling. And two weeks ago, three weeks ago, he smashed his face on the road yeah. while cycling. And he had to put like metal plates in his cheek and uh, repair yeah. his fracture on, on the eye, the nose. And his uh, thumb was broken. So, yeah, it's like... It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. I don't blame the cyclists. Like, you know, our roads are not set up for people to cycle. People in cars aren't set up for people to cycle to work. Yes, yes, um, yes. You know, like I, I broke my collarbone on a bike last year. Oh, my like, God. Like there's so much shit that can go wrong on a bike and it's like people yes. in cages, the cars. Like I used to ride a motorbike and I stopped because I had so many close calls every day that I'm like I'd rather have a bumper bashing with a car than a car hit me off my motorbike. Yes. You will only come off in a really bad way. Like – there's no, there's no happy ending in that. Yes, yes, Because you're yes. just exposed. Like you're hitting something, you know, an immovable object mm -hmm. or something is smashing you that's like 200 times bigger and heavier and faster than you. Of course you're going to be fucked. When Malaysian cyclists cycle on Malaysian roads, they share yeah. the roads with the most dangerous type of humans, which are Malaysian drivers yeah. who are already dangerous to other drivers in other cars. But now we have cyclists on bikes with no walls, yeah. no road tax, no insurance, no airbags. It's like they think their delusions can transfer onto the road. Yeah. And they're so arrogant. They're like, they're, they have none of the protection of a car, but all the arrogance of a car. You know, like, oh, just with, yeah. the, with the hand gestures. Of a Hummer. Never mind a car. They've got <laughs> like, it of a fucking Hummer. Like they own the road. Like, you don't pay road tax. I own the road. You can go fuck yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. in New Zealand, if you, if you have a motorbike license, you have to be an organ donor. And I'm for it. I reckon they should just, if, if, the minute you show any interest in being a cyclist, 
on a motorbike or in one of those Malaysian-made cars, you have to be an organ donor. <laughs> that is an amazing law that if you yeah. want to do something really dangerous, you yeah. must also be an organ donor. It's on my license. It says donor. Does it apply to other things as well, like bungee jumping, skydiving? No, but I reckon that should. I actually think organ donating should be an opt-out situation. Yes, yes, yes. Like yes, everyone, yes, yes. unless you specifically say, leave my shit alone, we're taking it. Yes. We're taking everything. Uh, I think people who want to have children should pass like a test. 100%. Or apply for a license. And, mm. you know, and the questions are about financial responsibility like if you earn $5,000 a month and it costs $2,000 a month to have a child how many children do you think you can have and if yeah. the answer is three or above then you know you can't you can't have any children yeah, yeah you're out yeah. you're out yeah. but it's the same with voting I think they should do a little test before you can vote there's too many fucking idiots voting. I mean, that's how Donald Trump got in because people are just not smart enough. Wouldn't it be easier to have a test for people running for office? Yeah, that could work too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, then we'd never have that situation again. Yeah. <laughs> like a simple memory tests. Who was the president in 1995? And if they oh, fail no. that, you're, you're done. No, no, no. We do that thing that they do in primary school where they read you a story and then afterwards ask you questions about the story. Like say they'll read <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood and then at the end they go, all right, now here's the questions. Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf, who would you shoot in the forest? If they go both, you're like, you shouldn't have a gun. You're not, you, can, <laughs> you can't run for president. Oh, she's, oh, they say like, I'll shoot Red Riding Hood because Red is for communism. And yeah, you can't, yeah. You, sorry, you, yeah, you no, cannot you're be, out. You you're, can, out. You're, you're, you're out. You're out yeah, and yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to take you out. You're not going to be eligible for office and we'll harvest your organs and you're done. Yeah, that's it. Two in Actually, one combined. No, I don't, you, don't, you don't want to take their organs because if we learn on a cellular level, right, they keep that right. stupidity within their organs and we don't want that in other people because then you've right. have you you've i've read those studies where they've um this biker guy um uh, he got the heart of a ballerina and then all of a sudden okay. he started crying at a classical music he didn't know who the donor was he started crying at classical music and all this stuff and then when they tracked it back they said oh he's got the heart of this ballerina um, wow. And now all of a sudden his taste of music has changed. He His approach to everything has changed. And, yeah, it could be the emotional trauma of receiving another organ from another human being and realising that that person has gone forever. And if it wasn't for them, even if you didn't know them, I think it would make you more emotional as yeah. a human being. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think the way you're phrasing it is much more plausible than the emotions of the ballerina trapped in the heart. Yeah, but that's not how the article read, but because, you know, I'm not it's a, a fucking nutty. That's, that's how it's I took it. Story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a better story. <laughs> you know, I, I think we, we both should run for office because our podcast today has all been about laws and legislations to make the country yeah. better. I think we can do something about it. Well, I mean, that's like... I think all comedians, because we, we are the ones that sort of see what's happening. We observe and then present. That's our job. You know, I read a really interesting article, uh, not to get all nerdy about it, but I read an article where it was talking about the role of the jester in the medieval yeah. courts, uh, royal courts, all around the world, in all different types of royalties. There's always this one person the court jester who is always misshapen and he always tells cruel jokes. But for some reason, in an era where there's no freedom of speech, there's always this 
protected role of the court jester. You know, and the, the article says that you know the, the role of the court jester was to make jokes about people or to make jokes about the king in a very kind of roundabout way to tell the king, "Hey, this is what the people are thinking about you. Yeah. This is how the people feel about this issue." And the article kind of ends by saying, "Look, in that era, satire is a service because satire lets people know, hey, you're fucking up here." They are going to revolt and behead you if you don't take care of the peasant. Which is f- strange because nowadays in certain parts of the world, satire is still a, a crime. When in fact, it's actually a very good service. Yeah, it's a mirror. It's like saying, "Hey, have a look at this." Yeah. It's so important, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Especially nowadays, you know, like uh, there are a lot of people who are trying to police comedy. Yeah. Without knowing what comedy really is, so yeah. that bugs me a little bit. On one of the um, comedians and cars getting coffee with Seinfeld. He talks about like on when you're on a TV set, there are so many people, and this this really gets my go. There are so many people who try and run the show instead of like you are employed as the producer, right? Like you you got us here now. Rely on us to do our thing, but they don't mm-hmm. know fuck all about comedy. But they want to try and squeeze it out. So the amount of times I've had to go during a show where they go, uh, "We'll just pick up that line if you could say this," and I'll go, "Oh, you mean just rip all the comedy out of it?" Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> 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 it's like, why don't you just trust the fucking comedians? We know what's yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. This is what we do. That's yes, all yes, I yes. think about is how I can make shit funny. And we are not there going like, "Oh, change the lights." Uh, camera yeah. angle, you know, yeah. uh, cut the commercial here. You know, we uh, let other people do their jobs. Yeah. When it comes to our job, they always take our tools away. Yeah. To do the job which they want us to do in the first place, which I think is, I think that's comedy everywhere in the world. If you're in an emergency room and the doctor, the nurses, yes. everyone's around you, and then you're like, wait, what are you gonna put in me? Do you think that's been maybe no? Let's just get a saline drip in me and have a think about it. Uh, put down that, you know, like is, let them do their fucking jobs. That's why they're there. You're yeah. there because you're a cyclist. And 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 then, and, then, and then the doctor's like, can you just shut the fuck up? We are yeah. doing our jobs. We are harvesting your organs. Can you please yeah, yeah. just knock shut him, the fuck knock up? Knock him out. Knock him out yeah, so yeah. we can get that liver out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that that really annoys me. And I think sometimes, you know, on uh, I don't know if you get this. Uh, I'm sure you do because you're such a legend. Like, you know, you put up a joke or a tweet or an Instagram post and there'll be people who find it funny. There may be one or two who don't find it funny and I'm okay with that. I just yeah. don't like it when people go, hey man, you shouldn't joke about this. Yeah. You shouldn't joke about that. Like, no, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Anything can be joked about, you know. Jason, can I give you a great comeback? And yes. it's it's been so good and I love every, and I write it all the time and I love it every single time. When people okay. go, you know, I used to like you, I used to respect you, I used to, and then I just write, I used to give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with this vaccine stuff. I used Uh, to think you were so smart. I used to give a fuck about people like you. I don't do it anymore. I'm at a point now where I'm like, I don't want the anti-vaxxers to get vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Ronnie Cheng makes a very good point in his special where he goes, uh, oh, you know, People always ask Ronnie to use your platform to spread awareness. And Ronnie goes like, oh, I'm supposed oh, yeah. to use my platform because if I don't use my platform to spread awareness about vaccines, the anti-vaxxers won't take the vaccines and they might die. And I'm like, 
what am I missing here? Good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you know, like, you know, it's good. Good that they die. Yeah, it's, it's survival of the fittest. But the problem with that is, you know, the, the fucked up thing about this whole pandemic is I wish we could say, okay, all the anti-vaxxers, we're going to leave you on an island and you all die. But the problem is there's no island and they are amongst us and they spread that yeah. goddamn virus to other people who are innocent and want to get protected. So that's the problem. Yeah. It's so shitty that this virus makes us do the right thing, which is all of us are protected only when all of us are protected. If some of us are protected... Yeah it still does not mean all are protected. So it's a yeah. it's a good learning curve, this virus. Yeah. Is your wife still working as a doctor? Yes, uh, she is an anesthetist and uh, she takes care of the patients who are intubated and ventilated. Yeah. She's in the front lines, deep in the trenches, yeah. fighting COVID. Uh, I talk about it in my new show. Do you find it interesting that most, not all, most comedians are actually aware enough to go, yeah, vaccines work. Yeah. But most comedians are really smart. It's it's yeah. It's difficult to find a dumb one. And a dumb and funny one. Yeah, yeah, because I mean the whole nature of comedy, I think, is you have to be switched on the whole time and your brain just works, you know, five million miles an hour. And also we read a lot of stuff so we can stay on top of what's going on in the world, um, you know, because we have to talk about it. Or, and even like the, I don't do any political comedy. That's just not mm-hmm. my buzz. But yep. I'm on top of politics all over so that if it comes up, if someone heckles me, I can come back with an educated response. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important to stay stay up to date, I guess, you know, uh, because if, yeah. Yeah, like you say, like people will try to challenge you. Now, here's the difference. I think coming from an Asian comedy scene, we rarely get hecklers and if we yeah. do usually it's from white people uh yeah. do you get even even now do you still get hecklers i i find it impossible that anyone would dare heckle you but do you still get any you know my entire career touch wood i've hardly had any hecklers and if they do heckle it's usually positive nice but no people don't really scream out at me but i i make it clear at the top of my show i go i'm not interested in this isn't a two-way thing. I said, I wrote the show. I know how it goes. I don't need, oh, that's nice. I don't need the input. And I won't pick on them either. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. That, that, that's, that's very nice. Uh, and which is yeah. why, you know, I feel, I, I'm actually quite saddened that there are one or two comedians, stand-up comedians who, who think it's okay that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. You know, like, yeah. He, Chris Rock is one of us, you know, and I, I actually took it quite personally because yeah. like I feel that if Chris Rock, the legend, can be slapped at the Oscars, the biggest event in showbiz, then what chance do I have? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm just Jason Leong at a 175-seater. You know, if, if yeah. Chris Rock got slapped, we can all get slapped and we've all been yeah. threatened with violence. That's right. I mean, yeah. fuck. But I like, and I, I talk about it at the top of my show now. I'm like, oh, no. I, I just, you know, and I say to them, I go, Chris Rock is a much bigger man than me because, you know, he was hosting the Oscars. I've, I haven't obviously hosted the Oscars, but I've hosted the Plumbing Awards. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, if anyone comes on stage here, I'm not going to be an adult about it like Chris was a, a professional. <laughs> I said, I'm going to take my shoes off and fight you right here in front of these people. It's going to be fight club and everyone's going to talk about it. I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, and guys, listening, that's not a comedy thing. That's the real thing. Ursula yeah, will throw down. Club. 
she will mm-hmm. throw down. And and here's another thing, right? So this is what I, I often get. They go, hey, you know, what would you do if someone insulted your wife? You know, and what what would you do? And two things. Firstly, I would let my wife handle it herself. Yeah. Because I think she can defend herself unless it gets physical, right? She's a professional. She's a mom. She's a wife. She can handle herself. Yeah. Yeah. And number two, when my wife is done with you, you would wish I intervene because she would destroy you. If your wife is upset, like he says his wife was upset, why not turn to her and give her a hug? Isn't that what you do when your wife is upset? Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. storm out in front of billions of people and fucking smack someone in the face. Yeah. I think Chris was a, a good symbol of professionalism and yeah. it really made Will Smith look weak in terms of masculinity because let's talk about it like in physical terms. Uh, taller, stronger, younger guy slaps an older, shorter, smaller guy and the guy didn't even lose his balance. It, so like he just walked yeah. back on. And realize yeah. hands behind his back the whole time going, oh, yeah. that was a G.I. Jane joke. You know, okay, calm down. I'm going to continue with the show. That yeah. takes so much control. Yeah. That is what I call a hero. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I will never, ever. So it, and then afterwards, that apology that he did is like, I guess I love too much. I'm like, dude, ah! you sound... <laughs> You sound like every abuser ever. Yeah, it's a real pity. So, but kudos to Chris, man. Uh, Chris yeah. Rock, when uh, when you listen to this podcast, just know that he'll be listening. Both yeah. <laughs> Ursula and I are are, yeah. are really uh, in awe of your professionalism. We're both open to um, opening for you on your world tour. Definitely. One will open, one will close. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to open for Ursula. Uh, once that happens, then I'll try and open for Chris. Rock. I, I'll never allow that. I'll never allow that. You're too good. I need someone shit. <laughs> Jason, let me ask you, what in this world shits you about other people? Oh, I I think I've I've, uh, already let it out on the the podcast. (laughs) The anti-vaxxers really got my goat uh, when things were tough. And right now, I think it's just people on Twitter who try to police me and uh, tell me what what I can or cannot say, what I can or cannot joke about. It's okay to find me not funny, but when you tell me what to say or wanted to say, that's like, look, just just shut up. You have no idea what, I, what you're talking about. And I'll tell you a very quick funny story. On Twitter, there was a, a, a time where I made a joke, which a lot of people took it the wrong way. I, I won't bore you with the joke, but they, they were really, they started getting really, bitchy about it. So what I did was I started blocking them on Twitter and they got upset that I blocked them on Twitter. So a few weeks after, Clubhouse became a thing. Okay. So someone created a room called People Blocked by Dr. Jason Leong on Twitter. (laughs) And it had 1,000 people listening in. And I double checked. I only blocked 100 people in that period of time yeah. the rest were just my f- my fans and friends going what the fuck is this all about and the funny thing is I couldn't even join because Clubhouse was just for Apple for iOS yeah. and I was an Android so there's no way I could participate <laughs> so it was a really weird way to know that I lived rent free in a lot of people's empty Amazing. minds so yeah. right now I think what shits me the most are just fucking idiots on Twitter I, 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 I wish I didn't have to tweet but yeah Twitter is a fucking mind dump. A guy sent me a thing the other day um, just to tell me I'm shit and he goes, this took like 
you know, 29 seconds out of my 10-minute break, but it's time well spent. And I was like, imagine being that guy. He would have thought about me all day and waited for that 10-minute break so he could go on his phone and come and tell me I'm shit. And I'm like, dude, I had the day off I went to play golf. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so enjoy. I hope you choked on your tuna sandwich the rest of the nine minutes. Yeah. Because, it's so, you know, it's like, it's hilarious. It is. And I love it. some of them will like, because I've blocked them, they can't see what I tweet. Then they'll yeah. openly tweet, like, hey, can anyone send me a screenshot of what Dr. Jason Leong said because he blocked me? Then someone sends the screenshot. He posts the screenshot and go, look at this idiot, blah, blah, blah. I'm so glad he blocked me. What? Like what? You're still in there. <laughs> it's, you know, like, yeah, do you want to have sex? that's how dumb they are. They don't even no. realize. And sometimes these haters, I think they just want to have sex with me. They, but they, they, they just can't yeah. articulate, you know. So they just go. They, it's because you're go. a hot guy. You're a hot guy. I mean, they're only human, mate. They're only yeah, human. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a sexy man. Yeah. And, and what about yourself, shits you? Ah, let me see. Oh, there are many. But uh, I think uh, I have this, I want to say addiction, but it's not really addiction, but I'm addicted to my my phone too much. Yeah. Like the first thing I wake up in the morning, I have to look at, and it's the last thing I do before I sleep, I look at my phone, yeah. uh, which is really debilitating because it affects my productivity. And as someone who, you know, is trying to, you know, work harder and, you know, be a better comedian, this it's a time sink. This phone yeah. of mine absolutely destroys hours and hours of my day. And I'm trying to get out of it, but it's so hard because everything is done on the phone these days. Everything. You know? I can't even help you. I've got two phones at, in my hand right now. Yeah. You know. The moment someone has two phones, you know they're dodgy. Yeah, I am dodgy. There we go. I'm African. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of side deals? I'm are you- African bogan. <laughs> what kind of side deals are you doing that requires you to have two phones, Ursula? I can't talk about it, but let's just say <laughs> I I too can work as an anesthetist. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to go back and go perform in Malaysia again. Yeah. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for coming on in on this podcast. Thank you, really Ursula. This uh, this is uh, an honor and a privilege and, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I've always wanted to work with you. And uh, so yeah. far, this is uh, the first, so I'm, I'm so happy. I'm going to take a screenshot. Can I take a screenshot? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. So that I can boast to people that I was with Ursula. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's Enough Already, hosted by me, Ursula Carlson, and produced by the young and effervescent James Blake. The supervising producer was Nick McClear, and special thanks to Ella Leav and Beck Sutherland, who are both currently getting pedicures. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe and share with a friend. Listener.